Happy Pride Month, everyone. And yes, I do celebrate Pride Month because I believe Jesus demonstrated in his life and commanded us to sit with those who have been historically marginalized by the power structure in our culture and to stand for them and stand between them and the religious people holding rocks to throw at them if required. So yes, happy Pride Month. And how did the Bible ever become weaponized, as our guest today calls it, against non-binary, queer people? Rev Timoth is a wonderful creator on TikTok, a wonderful spirit, a pastor. He's going to talk to us about the weaponization of the Bible through evangelicalism in Western Christianity and how we can start to see that differently when we start to look at people and how Jesus interacted with people. I'll hope, I hope you'll join us for this great podcast today. And as I do that, just want to remind you, if you appreciate what we do, all the free content we provide every week for people who are on an emotional and spiritual journey of well-being and seeking it out together in community, I would appreciate you helping, and you can help by going to our website at pastor-paul.com, sign up for a free newsletter account and just get information of what's coming up, and if possible, and you can, subscribe and be a part of sharing financially into this community so we can keep as much content free as possible for the foreseeable future. Pastor-Paul is the website. You can subscribe for as little as $5.99 a month. And I love you all for wanting to get our message out that God is not mad at you. And a guy that knows that well is our guest today. Rev Timoth joins us on the Post-Evangelical Podcast from the Pastor Paul community at pastor-paul.com. known as Rev Timoth with his distinctive look. And uh, Timoth Sylvia joins us here. And Timoth is a, a pastor in a UCC church in Rhode Island. And he and his husband are, are uh, parents to three adoptive children. And he is involved in foster care and all those things. And so Timoth, excited to have a conversation with you today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm, I'm excited as well, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I just got to, you know, you're very distinctive when you pop up and I love watching your stuff. T tell me about the about the look. Is this a look you've had for a while? Is this just who you are or, or do you does this work on TikTok? Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, uh, what I typically tell folks is this is midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the new glasses, the growing out of the beard. Actually, the um, the beard has been long before, uh, but not this long. Uh, and uh, I, I, I will blame TikTok a bit because it has been a, a bit of my sort of persona on TikTok to have the beard. But uh yeah, so any, anything I can blame on a midlife crisis at this point, I'm going to. So, <laughs> Well, I have people all the time, well, you're just trying to get likes on TikTok. And I'm like, 
to some degree, yes. I, I, it, I, I do things on TikTok I wouldn't do in normal conversation because I'm trying to get a message out and it has to sometimes be provocative or packaged well for it to happen. Absolutely. And it's an incredible platform to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and didn't Jesus say, like, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And wasn't he trying to shock people with that? So exactly. Exactly. Works for me. Yeah. So you're a UCC pastor, and uh, I've really grown to love my, my UCC friends. And you do a lot of TikToks in the space of queer Christians. And I, I guess let's start by let me show your video. This is a little bit of what you do on TikTok. And so people can get a feel if they haven't seen you before for what you do. And we'll come back and, and talk about what being a queer Christian looks like for you. I don't need to prove to you that God loves me by using scripture that at times is nothing more than a sacred weapon wielded by those whose hands would cry out the unfamiliar when a Bible is placed within them. I don't need to prove to you that God loves me by dancing through the doctrine of churches that have taken more lives over the years than you will ever care to know. I don't need to prove to you that God loves me by dusting off the names of dead theologians whose minds you seem to think you know. No, I don't have to prove to you that God loves me because the God who called me to come alongside them did not speak through the scriptures, did not speak through church doctrine, did not speak through the institutionalized structures that were built to lock me out. The God who loves me, who created me, who never leaves my side is the God who spoke words to my heart that you will never hear because they're spoken to me. Words of love and affirmation, words so deep and life-giving that I can do nothing other than believe them to be true. I'm a gay Christian, and I don't need to prove to you that God loves me. Because I know. God knows. And that's all that matters. Wow. Powerful message. I get chills watching that. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago did you do that? Um, I think that was last summer sometime. Because um, mm. you see the lake in the background. We have a, a lake house up in Maine. And uh, so I'm sure I did it back then. Um, so arguing the theology of this is uh, of, of the idea of gay Christian not being an oxymoron. You're not just into that fight anymore. You know, I was for a long time, and and uh, it, it's interesting. I so a little bit of backstory. So I didn't grow up in the church at all. Um, I, I think there was one Sunday when I was younger that my mother and stepfather took me and my step siblings to a Catholic mass, and then we went to a Baptist worship service. So he was Baptist, my mother was Catholic. We got it all done in one day, and we never went back. Um, so I didn't come to the church until I was in my 20s, which coincided with me actually coming out at that time, was in my first relationship. And my boyfriend happened to be the church musician at the little UCC church in my hometown. Um, years later, because uh, I, I never had to defend myself. I never had to have those conversations um, because I didn't I didn't exist in that um that community. So I, I wasn't having folks approaching me with scripture or um, until 
I was serving as a campus minister uh, while in seminary. And I had a young man, a student that uh, was a part of our ministry, who one day asked me point blank if I was gay. And I, again, I wasn't in the closet any longer. I was in a relationship with the man who's now my husband. Um, and so I answered yes. And immediately he started attacking me with scripture, you know, the, the clobber passages, you know, and, and the, the most heartbreaking thing for me in that moment was that it was no longer him. It wasn't his voice. Like I knew this guy, but he was, you know, it was his, his family or it was his home church speaking through mm -hmm. him in that moment. And it wrecked me completely. And, um, it was Monday, Thursday, um, of that year. And I immediately reached out to a pastor in town who was also an openly gay man. And I said, I need scripture to fight back. Like, give me, give me everything that I can so that I can, you know, be prepared to, you know, attack back. And he thankfully said, you don't need that. You know, you don't need to combat scripture with scripture, you know, and, and really talked me into this understanding that, and, and I didn't have the words for it then, I'm, I'm using this language a lot now, you know, the reality of my own lived experience, which that video you showed speaks to. Mm. And uh, so I've not had to defend. I, I have gotten into some pretty... Um, intense dialogues around it through TikTok, especially, um, and eventually got to a point where I'm like, I, I'm not going to change somebody's mind. I'm not going to change their theology when what I'm receiving from them most often is just a negating of my own lived experience. I, I can't put you inside of me to experience what I experience. And that I think is the only way some of these people will ever understand. Hmm. It's so good. And I, I, I had a, a Presbyterian pastor friend here in town in Fresno, California, where I live. And I asked him that question of how, how do you reconcile the passages of, of Scripture? And his answer was, I don't. Uh, and we don't have to. Um, and so I, th I think there's something really important of saying, how did Jesus interact with people? And that's how we should interact with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe that works. Well, and, and in this setting um, where I'm ministering in this particular community, and we've been doing a lot of work over the last um, year, digging um, even deeper into not just scripture, but into our understanding of scripture. And we have a lot of conversations around, you know, where did it come from? You know, who pulled it together? Um, you know, what, what other canons are out there? You know, and, and trying to, to gain a, a larger worldview of scripture itself, you know, so that each individual that is a part of this, this journey with me, you know, can come to their own understanding of how they want scripture to uh, influence their lives. Um, you know, and, and for me, what I'm often hearing from folks who are, are not part of our faith community, but who are usually coming after me because I'm an openly gay pastor, um, you know, there's a lot of talk of biblical inerrancy. There's a lot of talk of, um, you know, scripture is God breathed. I get a lot of folks recently who are saying, you know, God wrote the Bible. Um, no, you know, and, and that's just, that's not where I'm at, you know, and, and 
Uh, I see a lot of in the in the writings, in the, the canonization itself, I see the opportunity, I'm not gonna say this is the exact reasoning, but I see the opportunity to depict God in a certain way through the scriptures that have been brought together um, that could serve someone's purpose. You know, that it would make sense to have a uh, attribute for God that is this all powerful, this, uh, vengeful, this angry God, if you're a person who's trying to, in some way, maintain control over another person or over other people. And and I think the continuation of that is, is what I often am seeing with folks who are using the scripture then as a weapon, um, because I think we've, in some way, maybe we've inherited that from the pulling together of these texts in the first place. All right, let me jump in and interrupt this interesting and fascinating discussion with Rev. Timoth to remind you to join the Pastor Paul support committee. If you've ever thought, like, I would love to ask Pastor Paul a question, but you just didn't know how to get to me, my community chat board on the pastor-paul.com website is the way to go. You can ask me a question on there. I'll interact with it. And others will join in with their answers as we seek out emotional and spiritual well-being together in the Pastor Paul community. Pastor-paul.com is the website to go to. And for as little as $5.99 a month to $100 a month, you get access to our community chat board, to the audiobook version of my novel, and other really cool stuff, and you'll get to be a part of the community. Just go to the website, pastor-paul.com. It's super, super easy to sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Rev. Timoth and the disjointedness of the Christian belief system around queerness on this episode of the Post-Evangelical Podcast. It was really the the beginning of my deconstruction, which is a which is a term that's very prevalent in in our our TikTok spaces these days. But of learning in my pastoral training, the the formation of the canon was the first place where I was like, "Wow, I I was always taught this thing floated down from heaven in, mm. in like a a leather binding for us, yeah. and to see that it was messy <laughs> in how it came together, and there were other people who loved God who had a different Bible than I had was really a start of, I always say that's the, it's the string in the sweater that you pull. And then you start to say, what else, what else did we get wrong? So yeah, yep. I think if we can look at the Bible as a beautiful, a beautiful collection of writings written that I think were inspired somehow divinely, but were written by, by men and human yeah. beings Yep. then we can really start to use it to to love people rather than beat them up. Absolutely. I, I served a faith community before coming to Rhode Island that every Sunday had a uh, statement of faith that they would recite in worship. And a line in that, and I, I don't recall if they borrowed it from someone else or if others have borrowed it from them, um, was the line, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. And we actually had a lot of conversation around that because I, I wasn't overly comfortable with the way that was stated because there are aspects of scripture that I can absolutely take literally. 
you know, I, there's there's enough there, and the you know uh, additional writings that we can say, okay, yes, yeah, so this this lineage of kings yes. was was correct in this timeline and and whatnot. So to, to throw all of it out to say no, we can't take any of it literally. I just wasn't there. Um, but to say that we have to take all of it literally, no. Can we take it all seriously? Yes. Can we can we engage with scripture in a certain way where we can um, seek uh, an understanding of truth? You know, whether it's with a capital T or a lowercase t, it, you know, in whatever it is that we're engaging with. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I think that it. And again, this all falls to, you know, how do I as an individual understand my relationship with scripture, you know, and, and then how does that inform both my faith and my life? And I think that's what that's what I'm helping, I believe, others to cultivate here in this faith community is not, you know, me as the clergy person saying this is how you're supposed to use scripture, um, but to to invite folks into doing some of that own work of, you know, how do you want to use this in your life? How is this going to um, inform who you are in the world. So, and I, I don't know that, and again, because I didn't grow up in the church, I don't know that a lot of folks get that sort of an experience, you know, having been in the church their entire lives. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And I, and I actually worked it backward for myself a little bit in just sort of saying, Hey God, I love these people and, and I'm going to love them no matter what. And I don't care what the Bible says. And and which I think was a little bit of Peter's experience of God, of you know, Jesus saying, "Eat these animals." I know what your scripture says, but I'm telling you, don't call it unclean if I call it clean. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was a little bit of my experience. But I feel like now, I mean, do you do you feel like you can make a biblical argument against the inerrant Theo Bros who say God hates gay people? I <laughs> I don't know why I would need to. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Honestly, I mean, that's, um, I mean, I can, it, here's my biggest thing. Um, I am more than willing to engage in a respectful dialogue around scripture, around theology, around, you know, my faith experience, somebody else's faith experience. Um, and all too often, the others who are engaging with me are telling me, showing me that that's not their approach. Um, you know, going back to that young man in the campus ministry, I mean, I I listened to him. You know, I received what he was sharing and he shut down and would not receive anything that I was responding with. You know, and and if uh, so I I've I've done TikToks about this, I will say this often, you know, there are there are two things that uh, if you can say yes to these two things, I'm going to respect you. You know, and, and the first is that whatever it is you believe, whatever faith you claim or, or you know, non-belief that you claim, that you've gotten there on your own, that you've done the work. You know, you're not just receiving it from some religious leader saying, here, believe this, and you then carry it into the world. If you can tell me you've done the work to claim it for yourself, that's number one. And number two, whatever you believe or don't believe whatever set of values you use as a guide for your life. As long as you can tell me that they do no harm, I respect you. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's my hope then that we can engage in some sort of dialogue so that I can learn from you, you can learn from me. You know, and and all too often though, what I'm what I'm receiving from folks 
and it, it's interesting. So I'm picking up on words um, because people want to debate. They want to fight. They want to challenge, you know, and that's not what I'm about. You know, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to receive. I want to share. You know, I don't want to fight. That that for me is not my intent on how scripture is going to be useful in my life. Mm. So, you know, the the Theo Bros, I, I don't anticipate any of them are going to say, hey, Rev Timoth, I'd love to take you for a cup of coffee and have this respectful dialogue with you. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. I, I'm also a, 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 an overly optimistic person. So who knows? Maybe the day will come. Um, the track record so far, though, is no. <laughs> yeah, and I think Jesus probably modeled not not uh, getting into those types of arguments. I, I guess I have found the space, and I would love to hear your answer. To this you know, I do I do get the mom who comes and says, "I I want to love my child, my gay child, or my my non-binary child, but I don't want them to go to hell. I don't I don't want to I don't want to allow them to go to hell." And so I do work through some of the theology on those levels. What would your answer be to that mom uh, who would approach you? Um, so my answer has been um, in those conversations um, with folks that I know, you know, or folks that know me, um, just sharing from my own faith and my own understanding that the God that I worship my theology doesn't hold any place for the concept of hell that so many people are using as a tool for control and oppression. Mm. Um, and that so many people cling so tightly to, um, I, I don't, I don't understand how that could be with the, the all loving God that I worship, um, and that I have grown to know and love and that I trust loves me fully. Um, yeah, so I, I w without just saying to them, um, it's okay, hell doesn't exist, your child is fine. Um, you know, my encouragement always is, you know, let's talk about that. Let's understand where does that, where does that concept for you come from? You know, how have you learned about this, this thing, this place called hell? You know, and, and what is your understanding? And actually, right now in my DMs on TikTok, I'm having this conversation with um, somebody who follows me. Um, because they grew up being taught about this physical place of eternal torment, you know, and, and, you know, they're trying to sort of unpack that. So, um, I will also, and have also done many TikTok videos, um, just stating, yeah, the hell that you cling to so desperately to as a tool for control and oppression doesn't exist. So yeah. you go after hell, not after not after the who somebody loves. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and because I I see too often the um, the go to understanding or the go to concept of hell as this place of eternal fire that people are thrown into, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Um, right. And I can't find anywhere in scripture that supports that fully. Um, and I always take the step back and say, okay, what's the reasoning that this concept would exist? You know, 
whose need does it meet? You know, who benefits from something like that? Um, because I, I don't, I don't experience those conversations when someone's, I, I'm told all the time that I'm leading people to hell or that I'm going to go to hell or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay, yeah, move on. Um, I, I don't understand the intent of that sort of a statement, you know, cause again, I haven't experienced anyone who's genuinely concerned for my soul and its experience in eternity that they're going to try to keep me from experiencing that eternal torment. They're just using it as a weapon to throw at me, yeah. you know? So again, let's, let's take a step back from that. Where's it coming from? What, what is, what is the, what attribute of God is represented in that? You know, and and is that a part of who you understand yeah. God to be? Yeah. The concept of a God crafting a soul, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God saying, I know this soul is going to have a terrible life and then, and then go to a place for 17 million billion years where they will be burned forever by a fire that I stoke on an ongoing basis is a pretty crazy theology when you get right down to it. That, that is a, that is a monster. That's not a good father. Yep. And, and that's, that's some of the conversation with folks that are trying to make the claim that those who are born queer, um, that it's a choice, you know, that they're, they're not listening to this understanding. Then again, this goes back to the lived experience. Like I didn't choose my sexuality. I don't know anyone who has chosen their sexuality, you know, and, and why would I worship a God that intentionally is going to create me as doomed, you know, or, or intentionally create me in such a way that, I mean, I'm, I'm flawed. Yes. Um, but to intentionally create me that way, like, no, like that, that is not the God that I worship. Um, that is a, that is a God that has been created in, in somebody else's image. Um, and just, carried around in a little box. So again, they can pull it out every once in a while to prove their own point. Um, completely disregarding my lived experience. Hmm. Or yeah, I just, or this sort of side B version of it. Somebody told me that term recently of, oh, well, yeah. God can love you, but you just, you can never act upon your desire. You, you can be gay. Yeah. You can be non-binary, but you can never go after the intimacy that comes along with that desire. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a lovely experience that I've also learned while being on TikTok. Side B Christians, um, which again, what what would be the intent of an all-loving God to create you? And and I believe God created us all to be sexual beings, all of us. So why would we be created in such a way and also told, but you can't act on it? That just, uh, again, that's, it's toxic theology. Yeah. It's absolutely toxic theology, deadly theology, actually. It really is. And it's, and that, that need for that to be so strong. You know, I do tell that mother, um, you know, Matthew 19, Jesus is not, condemning gay people with the one man, one woman. He's condemning religious people for their incredible ability to create loopholes for themselves in divorce laws while condemning others. 
he's not con there's nothing in there talking about homosexuality all at all unless we get to the end and where Jesus is saying, "Hey, here's a hard teaching for you. Do you know that some eunuchs are born that way? Some are made that way and some choose to be that way?" I I always go, "Well, what is he talking about there?" If yeah. if eunuch was a representation of an effeminate male in that culture, is not Jesus saying, hey, by the way, you, you know, some of them are born that way. And some choose to be that way for, for the, the ministry and let's love them all where they are. Yeah. And even more so than I love to tell, ask my Christian, my staunch Christian inerrant biblical friends. So when Jesus said, hey, Capernaum, Sodom's going to have a better judgment day than you. Mm. What was he saying there? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know how we landed in this place, you know, but <laughs> it's I, I I and it is it is funny, but it also is like how many young lives have been destroyed Absolutely. by that traumatic theology. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, and that's why I I I continue to in in any way possible to lift up when this theology is potentially deadly, you know, because the, the numbers don't lie, you know, and, and the, the vast number of young people who are, you know, deciding that um, the only way that they can um, solve the, what others would name as a problem, um, you know, is to take their own life. And, why we as Christian communities across theologies um, don't open our eyes and our ears to that and say, okay, something's wrong here. Like how are something is something is leading these individuals to this horrific act, you know, and, and we need in some way to figure out how to reverse that, you know, and, and how to love them, um, I don't know. I, I I think part of it is some of the experience that I have with folks is there's a, a stronger love for scripture than there is for God. Um, there's a stronger sense of worshiping scripture than worshiping God. And, and, you know, for me, scripture points us to Jesus. Jesus points us to God. Right. And, um, too often, I'm seeing folks that are worshiping the Bible, people that are worshiping Jesus, and sort of disregarding the relationship with God that I think we're all called to be in. Well, the Trinity is Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Scripture, right? It's... <laughs> <laughs> and and it's and bad thing is, like I don't, I don't think they're even worshiping the Bible; they're worshiping their own theological calisthenics around it. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately their own, their own religion. And I, I actually find it to be, I often say most evangelicals coming, coming from the lineage that I come from in Christendom look a lot more like Saul of Tarsus than they do Jesus sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, um, and maybe that is our worship of the Bible, uh, the, the writings of Paul more than the story of Jesus sometimes. Yeah.
Yeah. Do you, the interesting thing I see in Col is, is, is in a lot of ways. I, I saw a, a survey the other day that said 77% of Protestants now are, are saying accepting of gay marriage. Uh, I think it was 62% of Catholics or something. I, I think the church has lost that war that we tried to start against gay marriage in our culture. But yet, does it seems to me? Does it seem to you that our our culture still is somewhat anti-queer? And when we see what's happening in Florida and all these, and is there sort of a rise in a backlash? And and even this transgender athlete issue, I think, is one hundred percent a okay. Well, we can't fully demonize gay people anymore, so let's find the trans kids and and let's yeah. Let's demonize them now. Why do you yeah. think we're seeing that come up at this time in history? <clears throat> Years ago when, um, so I would have been, you know, still probably in my 20s. Um, so again, I came out when I was 23. And um, I remember, you know, that, and again, because I didn't grow up in the church, I was experiencing just the cultural oppression of queer people. And, um I remember saying at one point, like I was okay at that time that the efforts were being made against me as a gay man, you know, or the gay community. Um, because I said that as soon as we were more widely accepted, as soon as we started seeing ourselves represented in, in, in film and in media, you know, all of that, they would start going after the transgender community. Um, and it's exactly how it played out. Hmm. Um, because our culture has become more, um, has, has provided more representation of, um, you know, gay and lesbian um, individuals, relationships, you know, across the board, commercials, films, whatever. Um, and so now the target is the transgender community. And um, I, I'm not, there, there's an element of it. I believe there has to be an element of it somewhere that is, is, is somehow based in fear. Um, and I, I don't know if it's fear of just the unknown, um, you know, fear of, of difference, um, you know, fear that in some way the, the folks who are so anti-queer are seeing uh, their own lives or the, the ways that they're living as threatened. And, and that's some of the language you do here. You know, but um, like they're going to lose something um, if we're more accepting of people who are different than we are. And um, I, I think that paralleling with um, just the uh, some of the statistics are showing that it's the younger generations that are are more accepting, uh, more affirming of the queer community. Um, it's the younger generations that are also much more vocal. Um, in regard to it than generations have been previously. Um, and we're a much more connected world. Um, so I think we're, we have it in front of us a lot more um, than we would have previously. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's interesting with the church statistics because um, another statistic to put up against that, which would be kind of interesting, is just the reality that mainline Protestant churches are in de significant decline. Yep. You know, and, and so if, if there's a higher number of folks in the Protestant churches that are accepting, and yet that's the community that's in decline, so is it the non-accepting folks that are leaving? Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, again, just a, just a wondering. You know? Interesting thought. I'm wondering if some of it, too, is, you know, 
the, the religion I grew up in and the assemblies of God denomination was so shame-based and, mm-hmm. and I now point to it as a, as a trauma that was foisted upon me as a child. Um, it's an interesting thing, Timothy, that I'm actually running into quite a few Gen Xers and particularly some former pastors, a couple of current pastors, by the way, who are starting to say, you know what? I think there's some gender fluidity in me. I think there's some some fluidity of sexuality in me. That that I wonder, you know, that mixture of shame with then maybe there's there's more of us with some of that inside of us than we're willing to admit because of that shame. That maybe that creates some of the, sometimes I feel like some of the people I run into on TikTok do protest too much. Is mm. is is it maybe a covering of something that uh, that we have some shame of? I wonder in in Protestantism in America. Oh, I I, I would guarantee, um, and just I mean thinking of my own experience. So before I came out, you know, I know that there were times where I was you know uh, completely homophobic, you know, and and part of that was self-preservation mm. you know and, and you hear that story over and over and over again um i also wonder that for folks like you're naming that are recognizing some of that gender fluidity or this this reality that you know our, our sexuality is you know more of a spectrum than this right. binary experience um we didn't have the language for that before you know, so as as we're learning the the vocabulary around it, we can start to understand our experiences a little bit more. Like I, I mean, I I grew up like I if I had to think back, I I was probably aware that I was gay when I was you know six or seven somewhere around there, um, you know, and didn't have language for that. You know, it's just what I understood to be you know the the connections that I was drawn to. Um, and once the language started to enter in for me, then it just made sense. Um, so I wonder if that's some of it that, you know, because so much of this is out in the open now, because we're talking about non-binary folks, we're talking about gender fluidity, we're talking about folks who are transgender, um, that people now have more of a, um, a vocabulary to consider when they're looking at their own experience. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I think that's, I think we're going we're going to see that a lot in Gen X as our kids are leaving home, and we're, I think a, a lot of us are rethinking life, and we we may see quite a bit of that. And and really, I think the acceptance of gay Christians a lot in a lot of ways are we all know somebody's gay. I, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have somebody somewhere close in their circle who has has come out in in some version of queerness, and maybe just once we start getting some proximity to to trans folks as well that will start to change um it but i it's it's interesting to play with because i'm i'm saying what what can science change in us as human beings that we then get to change our identity like if science can reattach an arm am i no longer an amputee so and and so equating that with if science can change my gender physically can i then become the other gender and why would we fight and wrestle so hard against that and not only that i mean again taking a step back why is it an issue and i, I maybe not why 
Um, what is it about somebody else's lived experience that is an issue for me? You know, what is it about, um, you know, a, a family member who is transitioning to, you know, from one gender to another that is important for me to take on as some sort of campaign in my life? I, I it, it, that's the part that I don't understand as well. Um, you know, it's, it's maybe just as basic as, you know, what keeps us from just letting people live their lives? You know, hmm. what is it about the way, what is it the, about the way that someone else is living their life that has an impact on me? Because it has it to be, it has to be the politicizing of this, right? It has to be the idea that if we allow gay marriage in our civil code, God will punish our nation with tornadoes i oh we get blamed for everything yes so hurricanes <laughs> tornadoes um yes the the war in ukraine got blamed on, blamed on the gays um well and and that's interesting paul because what what you just said you know speaks to the reality that um there is a a christian ex, uh, exceptionalism mindset you know that um, this idea that Christianity is the one and only religion of value, you know, and, and that it dictates the way everyone should live, you know, and, and again, talk about harmful, you know, and, and uh, I actually, I just, I watched a political ad for someone running for governor in um, Alabama, you know, and in his campaign ad, he said, um, he created man and woman. You know, he's he's attacking the the first transgender school that's in Birmingham, Alabama, and you know, like that one little line. It's like, okay, so now this is that marriage between Christianity and nationalism, right? And it's coming up in a, a gubernatorial um, campaign ad. Um, that is so dangerous, you know. That and and it's it's overwhelming and it's. It's everywhere, you know, this mindset that we're right because we're Christian and everyone else is wrong. And we as Christians need to be in charge um, because we have the we have the Christian morals. We have the Christian values. We know how you can best live your life. Wow. Like talk about arrogance. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we may delve a little bit more in that in our bonus podcast. I, I think it, it to finish up here in in this portion of the podcast. First, tell everybody where they find you on social media. Absolutely, um, at Rev Timoth. Uh, that is uh, TikTok. That is Instagram. That is Twitter, which I never use. Uh, and um, I don't know what it is on Facebook. It might just be my name, Timothy Sylvia on Facebook, but TikTok is where I'm investing most of my energy for social media these days. So. It sounds like you feel the solution to the problems that we're pointing towards here is conversation. Is it, is it trying to engage people in conversation? Respectful dialogue. Yeah. So there's an exchange of experiences and exchange of ideas. Um, I think that's the only way. Honestly. 
Why do Christians today feel the need to control the lives of others? Let's ask Rev. Timoth. Our conversation isn't over. We have a bonus podcast that we offer to those in the Pastor Paul support community. And in that bonus episode, Rev. Timoth will discuss the disjointedness of the Christian need to legislate Christianity onto people and our culture. And he also explains why there is no why on the end of his first name. Our bonus podcast is available to all of those who are part of the Pastor Paul support community. If you want to hear that podcast, go to pastor-paul.com and sign up, and you can even give a little bit to help support our work here. For those already in the community, go to the community chat board. The link is under the announcement tab and topic on the community chat board. Find out more and hear our bonus podcast by going to the website at pastor paul.com. I hope you enjoyed Rev. Timothy Sylvia and this episode of the Post-Evangelical Podcast. <laughs>